0: Sixers Beat is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get in the game. Want tickets to Wednesday night's season opener against the Celtics? Go find the best tickets available with panoramic seat view photos from every section with Game Time. But Game Time is more than just sports tickets, and you can get tickets to live music or the theater as well, and you can do so with a quick, easy two tap checkout. So head on over to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined, as always, by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, now a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, I guess we'll start off there. That is a change. If you were listening, you would have heard the different intro music. And now, as part of the Athletics Podcast Network, I guess we'll start off with what that means for you guys, the listeners. And I guess, first of all, if you're a new listener coming to us from the Athletic, you know, thank you. Rich and I have been doing a podcast about the 76ers for a long time now. This would have, this is actually our 199th episode together, which we should have waited for the 200th, the nice round number in order to migrate over to the athletic. Uh, we do not have the skills to plan that out or the planning to effectively carry that out. So we will go in very on brand on the 199th episode. I guess what I would say if you're a new listener is just because we've been doing it for a long time does not mean we are necessarily great at it, but we will talk to you frequently about your Philadelphia 76ers. If you're a longtime subscriber of the podcast, you know, I guess first of all, what I'd say is now we're doing it twice a week. And what that means is once a week, it'll come in on the feed that you've always been subscribed to. It'll be a public free podcast. And then the other podcast will come in through the Athletic Athletics app and will only be for subscribers. So if you haven't been a subscriber, if you've been holding out, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat and get a 40% off Discount, and you can not only read the written content that Rich and I have always done, but also now get access to that second podcast. And you know, I think what I would say, what else changes for you as a a listener of the Sixers' beat? You know, Rich and I have always been writers in the past, and this podcast was sort of something we did on the side. It was like, hey, we're already around the team every day; we already think about the team. all day every day and talk about the team in various forms of media why don't we talk about it over an internet connection and release it to the public to listen to and we always sort of took that as just sort of something we did for fun and it sort of slotted into our available time it was a hobby it was a it was very much a hobby it was writing was always a priority and it always should have been a priority because that's what paid our bills uh but now it is part of our part of our job so we will be doing it more frequently Maybe a higher quality. I'm not going to guarantee you that one, but we're we're going to try to do a slightly higher quality.
1: No promises certainly, there.
0: Certainly more frequently, and we will be here talking to you about your Philadelphia 76ers twice a week. How you doing, Rich? I'm good. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm good, man. It's a it's a new era for us. I remember, I believe there was one time on Reddit where we got called the lazier version of <laughs> Birds with Friends, and while I do not think we're nearly as funny as Bo, especially.
0: Are you saying Shield's not funny? Did you just say Shield's not funny?
1: I do think Bo is the one who kind of pulls the strings a lot of the times. I don't think think, we're as funny as Shield either, but I, uh, you're really set.
0: You're really setting that stage, man. People are going to be dying to tune in every week.
1: Anyway, uh, I'll take it. And hopefully with this, uh, more frequent schedule, you will at least chop the lazier version off that comment.
0: (laughs) We can, we, that's what we can aim for. But as I said, remember one a week. Public feed, one a week, private The Athletic feed. Go subscribe, theathletic.com. We do want you here for all the episodes. So I guess, you know, preseason came to a close. We now have the regular season just two days away. So first of all, very happy the preseason is done because when the team doesn't care about it and when Joel and B doesn't care about it, it's tough for us to care too much about it and to really take too much away as analysts and people who have to cover the team. People who are blessed to cover the team, I should say, not have to. But the preseason can feel like a little bit of slog at times. And you've got players resting. You know, Ben Simmons out again, you know, being really cautious with that injury. You have have Josh Richardson played a half in the final preseason game. Joel Embiid played half speed in the final preseason game. So it's really tough to take too much. And you'd watch, you know, Washington just pick and pop Joe to death. And will that happen in the regular season? Who knows? But... Now we have something a little more solid to go on and very soon we will have full speed NBA games to talk about, which makes this a perfect time for a preseason prediction podcast, which we always love uh, in part because it generates good discussion, which is actually a positive. And in part, I'm being sarcastic because there's no freaking way that what we say here is going to turn out to be true. And we can only sort of talk you through the thought process behind that and how we arrive at those decisions. And in six months time, you can look back and call us and point out how stupid we are, but we will be doing that today.
1: Wait, we're not going to talk about Furkan blocking Pesetius.
0: That was a great moment. There, there was a brief time where I forgot that they were one draft class apart. And I, I really thought that was going to be the, the shining moment of that, um, you know, of that 2016 draft, but it, it was not meant to, to be. Um.
1: Yeah, we're going to, uh and I make the, that joke there. I agree with you. We are going to, Push that game aside last night. Well, we can talk
0: about the Terry Harris news. That that's a good place to launch a podcast with. Yeah, Terry Harris averaged 8.1 points per game at North Carolina A&T. Not what we're going to be focused on today.
1: No, he is on the G League team with uh, Temple Shiz Austin as well. Though the uh, yeah, I, I think it was tough to watch last night, but I did at the end of the game come to the re- realization that okay, the preseason's over. They did not care one bit about that game last night. They did care a little more about some of the other games, but just push that one to the side and let's, uh, let's focus on the real stuff coming this week.
0: That we will. All right. So we're going to start off with a bunch of, like I said, inevitably wrong predictions because that's the way this always go. And when you start off with talking about the Sixers, you always start off in one place, Joel Embiid. How many games will Joel Embiid play? And that is, you know, what's his high? Like sixty. 60- 4 ish.
1: I think 64 last year, and that was with him missing. I mean, for the last 30 games, he was missing at least one out of every two games.
0: Yep, 64 last year, 63 the year before, 31, and and the 63 he would have, he probably would have hit 70 that year if it wasn't for Markel Fultz's shoulder. Yes, and that's the, true. the orbital socket, and then 31 during his rookie season, which was a combination of rest in the first half a year, and then missing time with the torn meniscus. In the second half of the year. So not, you know, I think Joel's an interesting case because when he came into the league, we thought we were really worried about the navicular bone in his foot. He's avoided after the first two years any setbacks with that, but now he's had nagging injuries pretty regularly. And there's a great question of how much do you actually want him to play? What should be the target for Embiid?
1: That's the more interesting question to me.
0: Yeah.
1: If the Sixers, let's say he's completely healthy the entire year. With this load management schedule that, they have not unveiled what exactly it'll be, but pretty much all parties have acknowledged they're going to take it a lot more serious than they did last year. And when it comes to the beginning of last year, taking it, acknowledging it at all is taking it more serious than what they did. So yeah, that would be my question to you. How many questions or how many games do you think Embiid would play if he's healthy the entire year? See,
0: this is, I have no real idea what their plan so i i guess we'll, we'll we'll peel off what we've sort of taken away from what their plan might be you know it sounds like first of all like when they would have two days off play a game have two days off last year they would like to rest and be there give him a solid five days in a row off his feet he doesn't want to do that this year it sounds like back-to-backs are something they will consider resting him for but it's not a guarantee he will take those off so that would be you know what about 13, 13 games, back-to-backs 13 back-to-backs where you would take off, but now it sounds like he might play in some of those. Does that mean every back-to-back or both ends of every back-to-back? Does that mean half of them? I don't really know. So I think if I had my druthers, I think I would, first of all, I'd pretty much give him beat off one night on a back-to-back pretty much every time through. So I would set the high bar at like 70, but I think they're probably thinking a little bit more. I think they're probably thinking 72 to 75 with fewer minutes in on a game to game basis. Hopefully some blowouts in there so you don't have to come to some difficult decisions. And strategic nights off throughout the season. Not just, like you said, not playing him every night during the first two months of the season. And then every other night during the last two months of the season. So I would say their goal is probably, I don't even know if they really have a number per se. But with what I've been able to piece together from the way that they're talking, 72 to 75 might sound like what Embiid and the Sixers are thinking. I would probably say 65 to 70 if it were me.
1: Yeah, I mean the easy way to do it if we're just talking about what we would do if we had our juthers is just take those 13 back-to-backs, take one night off every time. But you know, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think he's going to sit out every time. So another way I looked at it was what do you think per month? is the right amount of games for him to miss. There's six months in a season. I was thinking like one and a half maybe. So that would yeah. be nine games, and that would get him down to 73. Uh I think that's probably what they're thinking in, in general, and I'm sure it's way more sophisticated than the very quick math I just did. The minutes point you just mentioned to me is very key. Played 34 minutes per game last year. I think he's gonna try and whittle, or they, they, they and he are tr- gonna try and whittle that down to about 30 minutes this year. And that's from Al Horford playing and the Sixers being good when he plays. That's from a little Kylo Quinn to start the year. I'm sure he's gonna get, you know, five to ten minutes per game to make sure the two, uh, the two load managed centers do not get overtaxed. He's played pretty well. And hopefully the Sixers are good. And, and they can kinda of do the Steph Curry thing where there's some fourth quarters where Joe doesn't have to play. This team last year did not blow out a lot of teams. And the year before, there were a few of those, especially at the end of the year when Joel did run into uh, Markel's shoulder, which was unfortunate. That was not anything he could have really avoided. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say if I were to pick a number that they're going to target, I'm going to say eh, 73, 74. Because I the one thing – that's a little bit at odds with the load management, and maybe this is just Joe talking. He's talking a lot about wanting to win the MVP this season, and I've seen a lot of people who are not affiliated with the Sixers giving him a very good chance to win, and the MVP is always a very big narrative award, who's the best player on the up-and-coming team, The the number one seed, and I think Joe's going to have a good story to tell. We know he's going to put up some monster numbers, which... Means a lot to those voters, so I I wonder if he uh, if he has a chance to win that award. You, you can't be load managed too much and win that award because they'll start penalizing you once you get under seventy.
0: Yeah. So last year through December fifteenth, Embiid had played in twenty nine out of thirty games, and he had he was averaging just just about thirty five minutes per game. So I think if I was looking at it, you know, the right answer to how much you want him playing is however much isn't going to result in tendonitis at the end of the season. That is a little bit tougher. I'm not a a doctor to figure that out. Are you saying what we're we're predicting uh, is
1: useless right now?
0: Pretty useless. If I were going to, but but please keep listening to the podcast. If I was going to change that, say through December 15th, they had played 30 games, maybe 32 minutes at 25 games, I guess is what I would sort of be aiming for. And you go back and you look at recent you know, MVP winners, because that is a goal for Joel. That's that's always going to be a goal for a player of his caliber. And you know, unfortunately,
1: year, it's a realistic goal. For it him, is. You know what I mean? In terms of trying to keep him uh, grounded, it's, uh, he could win MVP.
0: Yes. If you look at recent award winners, you know, Giannis last year won it with 72 games played. James Harden the previous year also had 72 games. But before then, you had to play. Nearly every night, like Russell Westbrook had 81 games played. Steph Curry had 79. Um, Steph Curry the previous season had 80. So this is an award that typically Kevin Durant, I think was right around 80, 81 when he won it in Oklahoma City. This is an award where you pretty much typically have to play on an almost night in and night out basis. And that's real tough when you're seven foot, between seven foot and seven foot two, depending on if you want to go with the no shoes or shoes listed height and 280. Ish pounds. That's a lot of wear and tear, especially for somebody who's had the kind of meniscus injuries he's had, who's had tight tendonitis in his knee that he's had, who had the the foot injuries and navicular bone fractures that he has had. You want to be real careful about that. So I think what you do is you say, "Look, Joel, if you play seventy two games and it's not enough to win MVP, you sort of just have to be willing to accept that because your goal should be Finals MVP." And I know that the regular season MVP is is what people. Really aim for, not that they don't aim for winning the championship, but it has more prestige to win the, the regular. I mean, people will assume that if they win the regular season MVP, they can challenge for that finals MVP. They're not really separate, but I do think in this case, pursuing one too aggressively could, could have adverse effects on the, the other. So we'll see. Um, but anyway, going back to the original question, now that we've rambled for seven minutes off topic, how many games will he play? How many games do you think he will play? Just okay. to get you on the record.
1: I mean so we're we're basically predicting injuries here? Yes. This is not a nice way to start the new <laughs> podcast. Uh All right. I'll I'll be a little a po- little more positive and say so we played 63 and 64 the last couple of years. Yep. Let's say 65.
0: All right. I'll go 68. Even more positive. Next, what the what other you? topic the other topic that everybody loves to talk about and loves to tie the Sixers championship chances to. Ben Simmons shooting three pointers. We've seen one in the three in the preseason. He made it. It was it was an in game three pointer, but it was not really in the flow of the game. Uh The fans and Mike Scott and Joel Embiid had to really goad him into taking that shot. He did. He rose up pretty confidently from twenty seven feet and he made it. He hasn't played here the last two games. Was it lower lower back tightness? So he hasn't played in the last two games. How many do you think he? I guess we'll start. We'll splits up how many do you think he will attempt and how many will he make
1: it's impossible to judge from the preseason because as you said he only took one and it was like it was kind of like it was watching uh you know a game at rucker park where kevin durant's just isolating a guy one-on-one at the end of the clock that's not something that'll happen that much in the preseason it was also against the uh the chinese Basketball association team as well. Right.
0: I was going to say by the by the way the guy he was isoing up and rising up over was 6 foot and wasn't really playing defense. Yeah.
1: Um so that that's different. We we saw nothing about Brett Brown or no examples of Brett Brown's comments at the luncheon a few weeks ago said, "Well, I'm going to stick him in the corner when, you know, Joel is posting up." We we all know that he's been in the dunker spot for all that time. I don't think we saw that once during the preseason. And those are the shots to me that at least off the bat he's gonna have to make. That and and to me, even watching him kind of look good in warm-ups and make that shot in the game, it seems kind of feasible to me that he can make that shot, but we saw none of that. And, you know, maybe they're working on it in practice and you know, maybe Boston's always been a very good kind of play to the scheme defensive team. I don't really see how much benefit you get from winning one game instead of working on it in a game. Like it's not the NFL where you're, uh, you know, you have some crazy blitzes that you're you're trying to save or some trick plays. So you know, I, I have not been encouraged in terms of his willingness to shoot it. I to me, it looks better. We kind of talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. So how many will he attempt? The the thing is, even though he's dealing with the lower back tightness. You could pretty much pencil in Ben, unless he uh, has this freak injury on Sean Long's foot landing there, he's going to play a lot of games. Like he, I, I don't know, has he played 82 and 81 in his first two years? Is that right? Or It's, it's
0: certainly in the 80s. I don't know the exact number.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to me, a, like a good number on this would be, I would like to see one, one and a half per game, you know, just to try it out. But to me, it's going to be a lot less than that, just because we have not seen any evidence that he's going to shoot it. So how many threes will he attempt? I think it's going to be, I don't know, maybe a a once-every-two-games thing, maybe a little more than that. So I will say, let's just pick a round number. He will take 55 threes this season. I don't think it's going to be a huge part
0: of his diet. I don't. I think... I think that's a pretty optimistic number. I think a week ago. So I, I think there's two things you got to look at when you look at he the progress he's made in his jumper. First of all, his willingness to take him in practice before games is much improved. And I mean this this is, this was I mean this was a thing he didn't really do too much of. He would occasionally shoot, but if he had a couple of bad misses in a row, he'd, he'd kind of go work on other stuff. And you, you saw it from time to time, but not consistently. And now pretty much every time he's out there, we see him working on, on threes, not just jumpers, but threes. And, it, you know, we've talked about the, the form in the past. Is it, is the form good? No. Is it an improvement? Yes. I would say mostly it is improvement in the consistency, which is ultimately what's really important. And I think the results have, in practice have been more consistent as well, which is, is good. It's what it's, Progress trending in the right direction, but not where you need it to be, is the way I would phrase it. Now, in games, we haven't seen that willingness. And like you said, we haven't really seen him positioned off ball like Brown said he would be. So it's it's on the one hand, do I believe he's made some progress? Yes. Do I know if that's going to really manifest itself in games all that much? No, I don't really have that confidence right now. And I think confidence from Ben's part is very important in this equation. So I think originally... Like when the preseason started, I was expecting about one every other game. Or I was hoping for one attempt every other game, which would have put him right around 40-41. I think I've gone even a little more pessimistic than that. I think I'm thinking maybe 35 attempts and like seven or eight makes shooting like 23-24% on the season from three. And is that enough to stretch the floor? No, it's not. You know, when we get in the playoffs, not maybe Ben improves in other facets of the game, getting the free throw line, which by the way, he shot like 54% from the line in the preseason. Again, very small sample because he missed two of the five games. But, you know, I think if he can improve in getting the free throw line, maybe his touch around the rim, his, 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 his aggressiveness in driving, maybe being a little more of a frequent post-up threat now that Jimmy Butler doesn't, isn't here to have the ball. Like he could end up being a different player. But in terms of floor spacing, in terms of the problems the Sixers have spacing around Embiid and spacing around what would now be, you know, Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris pick and rolls, I don't think shooting, say, seven for 35 is going to be enough to change those fundamental problems. And that to me would still be a concern. Now, I mean,
1: we're only 23s off. I, I'm curious when you say 35, what are the context of most of those threes? Is he in the corner? Is he taking them kind of off the dribble when somebody sags off them way too far?
0: That's a very good point. You know, I think we saw the one, the one that we saw in the preseason was a pull-up. I think a lot of that we saw in the videos over the summer were pull-ups. I think what he needs more is that catch-and-shoot three. So that context is important, but also when in the season they came will be important. Like, does he shoot 10 in the first half of the season and then 30 in the second half? And he looks like he's gaining more confidence... As the season goes on, then maybe you could say, you know, in the playoffs the the spacing will be different. But it is, you know, I I I'm confident that he put in the work over the summer. But I still think that confidence is going to be something that we we talk about a lot, and that could hold him back still.
1: To me, it's all about this. This really comes down to Brett Brown, in my opinion. I mean, as much as it does, before Ben has to be the one who pulls the trigger. But I really think it's as simple as. You know, and you can, you can hopefully do it when you're maybe winning in the second half of games, but you post Joel up, you stick Ben in the corner, they will absolutely double or, or send rotations away from Ben in that corner, and you can orchestrate a wide open corner three, and then he has to take them. So, you know, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be harder on them on this, and harder on Brett uh, on this particular subject than I have been in the past, because they need to work on this. And and 35 would not be enough in my opinion. I I think sometimes we you know, you just want to see threes to see them, but it, you need to uh I think it's very important the environment that he takes them in. And it's up to the coaching staff to put him in the best possible environment. The thing is, I don't think it'll be that hard to do that. And then he just has to shoot them.
0: Oh no, those shots will will be there for sure. You know, this is something where It's interesting. We asked Brett earlier on in the preseason, you know, like what kind of, how, how willing are you going to be to let Ben take a quote unquote bad shot? Like if he's shooting 20% from the corners three months in the season, does he still have the green light? And, you know, Brett said he's, he's very willing to let him continue to take that shot. Like I think everyone views this as, you know, a stepping stone that needs to be taken, a first step that needs to be taken. And you can't make that progress by taking a step. And then abandoning the trail. So I think, you know, is he going to be good enough by the end of the season to really change the Sixers floor spacing? I don't, I don't know. But I know he's got to keep taking them in order to gain that confidence in order to, to get used to shooting them in rhythm at NBA speed in a game. And that's not going to happen if he takes 10 of them, doesn't make it and gives up. So it's It's a great question, I but like I said, right now, I'm not overly optimistic. I think what I would say is I hope that as the season goes on, he gets more confidence but
1: I, and I th- it th- also think the one up
0: question can you gain confidence even if the results aren't there, like will just taking them cause him to lose even more confidence? I don't know, it's a yeah. good question
1: yeah it's it's a good point, and i I think that's definitely a reason to be pessimistic. One reason to be optimistic these games didn't matter, and while I think a lot of people pointed out, including myself that uh that would be the best time to work on those shots. Now you're going to have defenses who are really trying to beat you. And, you know, it could be, you know, we could be talking in a week and maybe he's taken three or four of them just because, you know, defenses are are honing in on Joel and Ben, you know, Ben kind of says, I'm sure matter of factly, well, like, you know, I I was just getting in the rim all the time in the preseason and now we found some situations. So first week here, first impression here is going to be important, I think.
0: And, like, one of those three games he did play in in the preseason was was against the Long Lions where he could have just gotten the rim anytime he wants. So it is – you're right. We don't have the greatest sample to make this determination. Uh, let's go. Let's right. move on. Let's – please, please, please. All right. Let's pause for a minute to talk about this week's sponsor, BetOnline.ag. The football season is in full swing, and you can get in the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, BetOnline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and make your bets on your favorite professional or college team. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bet, parlay, or tease your way through the season. Will the Patriots remain undefeated? How many touchdowns will Carson Wentz throw for the Eagles this week? Bet on all this and more with the fastest odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head on over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join today and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Once again, that's CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Get into all the action today with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And now back to the show. All right. Uh, How many minutes do you expect from Matisse Thibault?
1: Let's call it an even 20.
0: 19.1 in the preseason. I think... You know what? Did Mike Scott led the bench unit at the end of the season at like maybe I want to say twenty two, twenty three, somewhere right around there. I don't think I expect too many bench players, especially with a starting five as strong as the Sixers do. To eclipse twenty minutes per game, you know, if you're looking at looking at it at two hundred and forty minutes available in the game, the Sixers start off with what one hundred and seventy already occupied by their starting lineup. So there's not that many. I think I think right around twenty is a good call. I will say slightly under I'll say 18 per game but no no I'm not I'll go 22 Wow yeah. a yeah. four minute jump four in one minute, second wow. I, think could, I think it could be 18 minutes uh, well because well what I didn't bake in there was progression throughout the season I think it could be 18 minutes to start the season and then increase more hmm
1: to me that's the cooler question by the where is it the, at at
0: the end of the season yeah
1: yeah not only where is it at by the end of the season but at the end of the season is Matisse Stiebel the number one bench guy?
0: Well, that, that's another question later on, Rich. All right, I'll say he's playing 22 minutes per game at the end of the season. And then next question, who will be the sixth man when the playoffs start?
1: Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, you're right. Uh <laughs> So, okay, yeah, well, this is good. We're saving some time. We went over time, and now we're killing two birds with one stone here. This is great. Uh I think the answer is probably a slight under on 20, but, again, I think that's right around where it'll be. You know, I think— nineteen to, to twenty one minutes. It doesn't really make a difference. I I think I've liked what I've seen from the Sixers bench, uh, excluding last night. They were not very good, but nobody was. But I think Ennis is is a certainly a capable backup wing. Scott is serviceable. You know, you, you should be able to plug and play some of these other guys as well with the uh the Sixers excellent starting five. But yes, I would say, you know, right around 20 minutes and I think Matisse Dibble is the most important sub come playoff time, which would be an amazing accomplishment because rookies flat out don't do that.
0: Yeah. I think certainly in the preseason, he has been their most impactful bench player so far. You know, I think if he, if the Sixers don't make a change in their bench depth, I could see him being... The first sub or the, the sub getting the most minutes come playoff time. I think what's interesting is whether or not they try to go out. You know, and I think they're, I think, first of all, I think he'll be the first wing by the time playoffs come around. I think his defense is just, you, you look at most of the bench pieces the Sixers have, and most of them don't really do anything great. Like Furkan Korkmaz looks like he should be a great shooter and, and probably will make shots, but he's he hasn't been great throughout his career. Zaire Smith is, you know, a little bit of still a project in terms of his decision-making on both sides, although he, he looked real good in the final preseason game. They don't have many real elite skills. Mike Scott's shooting is, I guess, close to it, at least in terms of what you would expect from a bench player. But he's really limited in other facets. Matisse Theibel's defense might be the most elite skill of that bench unit, and that tends to win out in rotations, especially when we get close to the playoffs, even for a young kid. Like he is. I think the interesting question is, do they upgrade, let's say a Mike Scott to a different, more impactful, more traditional six man? Because I do still think when you look at the top end of this bench, they could use a little bit more. Uh, certainly they could use a little bit more ball handling. They could use a little more shot creation. They could use, a, you know, a, a, an upgrade in the James Ennis, uh, Mike Scott, Matisse Thiebel category. And Matisse is a part of your future for a long term. So where else do you look? Um, you know, especially because it seems like, you know, like I said, they really need ball handling and that sort of forces how will Neto or Trey Burke on the court when they yeah. might not be one of your best couple options on the bench. It'd be great to have someone whose talent level, you know, sort of matches the team need. And I think that's where, that's where the question comes in. I think they could acquire somebody towards the deadline who might sort of fill that role.
1: Man, they, they really do need ball handling. And they do. I think we're going to get to that in the question in a little bit, but, uh, yeah. I, and so I guess the other question I would ask you is if that person comes from off the roster, it's
0: more likely that'll be a buyout
1: candidate, right?
0: Trades will be tough. You know, they don't have a lot of salary to match. They don't have a lot of future draft picks to trade. That's why sort of if I, I, I if they make a trade, I almost assume it's going to be upgrading Mike Scott because you almost need Mike Scott to, you know, to be used as a contract filler. So I would agree it's probably more likely to be a buyout candidate just because it's, they don't have much flexibility for a trade.
1: Yeah. And even Mike Scott, what does he make? Like 4.8
0: million or something? Yeah, something you
1: know, about, yep. so that's not, uh, you know, that's not the easiest salary to match either if you're going to bring in a veteran who, who makes any sort of money. So yeah, it's, it, it's going to be hard. And that's why I will default with, uh, Matisse on that one.
0: All right. So one of the questions we had was what role player style of player will the team pursue at the trade deadline? We, we sort of just. Answered that.
1: Could be, could be a lot of styles. I mean, really, they, they, I think what you said is, is right. That they're lacking kind of the top end skill. You know, even Bellinelli, not a great player, but he did have that one elite skill that helped them. And I think on this team, you know, Bellinelli would probably fit it even more because of all the great defenders around him. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't have, they have a lot of well-rounded players this year. It's kind of like, when you look at that starting lineup, they really only have one ball handler in Ben Simmons. Yeah. They do not have the sniper of JJ Reddick's level. And look, that's—it's probably going to work out for a lot of the season because they are all very good defenders and they're versatile offensive players. But there are going to be nights where those uh, those areas stick out as weaknesses for sure.
0: Yep, there there will be nights where they just can't put the ball in the basket, and that that is a detriment to winning basketball games. All right. Who will play the most backup point guards in the regular season? So I guess the four candidates here are Raul Neto, Trey Burke, Shake Milton, and Josh Richardson.
1: Hmm. I, I think this might be one where I disagree with what the answer might end up being. So to me, we, we were kind of talking about this after the game last night. If he's healthy, I would will give... Will you stop
0: saying last night we're not releasing this podcast until Sun or Monday morning? Stop well, saying last night.
1: People, people gotta get used to the, the timeline that, <laughs> that we live on. So, if I were to, to give the backup point guard minutes, and what, what is that? That's 15 minutes a game? You want yeah, Ben playing yep. 33, 34, something like that? Just give this person the other minutes. I would give that to Haul Neto. And, I think he's probably shown the most. He, uh, he's a better defender than Trey Burke. To me, he seems just kinda like a steadier player. He's, you know, he is an actual point guard in terms of his ball handling. Uh, if I were to predict the answer to this though, I think by, especially by the second half of the year, and maybe even, you know, maybe we're surprised because we have seen it a lot more. I think Josh Richardson is going to be that answer.
0: I certainly think he's going to be that answer in the playoffs. And I think it makes a little more sense in the playoffs because you're always worried about matching up with the other team defensively. Like you, you don't want to have a matchup the other team can exploit. And if the Sixers run that big lineup out there, they won't. In a regular season, I think. Which, which, by the way, I, I think they could use a natural ball handler who has a little more defensive versatility than than Howell, Neto, and Trey Burke do. Like, I think Josh Richardson is a slightly inelegant fit because there's just there's not the creativity, there's not the the ball handling, the burst to get to the rim and really create offense. Um, you do sort of need a guy every now and then who can just take a pick and roll a ball screen, and get a shot either for himself or for his teammates. And Jimmy Butler did that at times last year, a, a lot down the stretch in the playoffs. And I think that is going to be a weakness. I don't think that is either Richardson or uh, Tobias Harris's game, especially Harris in terms of setting his teammates up. So I think that is something they should really pursue. I do think Richardson will be their answer in the playoffs. And And look, we've seen very little of this, of of any of this, really. No, none of these options have played an abundance of minutes in the preseason. We will have a much better feel once the regular season plays out. But right now, I expect Richardson to be that answer in the playoffs. I do think they're going to go back and forth with Burke and Neto in a regular season. I prefer Neto. I think Brett Brown will eventually, too. I think last—well, now I did it. I think Friday night in their preseason finale against the Wizards, you know they ran out with big point guards for the entirety of the first half and Richardson starting, and Shake Milton coming off the bench and then use the second half to play Trey Burke. Neto wasn't available. I do think Burke not getting any first-half run might say something because Brown did say, you know, he was going to sort of treat that like a regular season game. So I think regular season it's going to be Neto. I think he's the best option. But I do think a team need is finding someone who can fill that role and also be more playable. In the playoffs, because I think Richardson is slightly better as a secondary creator and an off-ball player.
1: One, one other benefit of playing Neto too is keeping everybody's minutes down. I, I like the idea of a ten-man rotation for a while to start the year. To you know, we we already talked about Embiid and Horford and how how their minutes need to be managed. But you know, overtaxing Josh Richardson in October and November, if you just trust the infrastructure you have and, and trust the the bench guys to be able to plug and play and just contribute in whatever kind of limited small role you need them to do. I I think there's a benefit in that for sure.
0: All right. One more question, and then we get to the two biggies, the two that really matter. Predict one storyline that emerges during the course of the season, one unexpected storyline that will pop up that, uh, that we will have to talk about.
1: So I've got two. So how about you, you go first and maybe it'll be the same and I can just go with the other one.
0: Well, I think, I think the one that you brought up before the podcast, which is that people will question Tobias Harris's contract and his, his status as a fixture of the team. I think that is very legitimate in part because, you know, I think, I think Harris, I, we said this it, at the time of the trade, at the time of the contract, I think he was overpaid in both of those instances. But also because I think contracts tend to cause fans to question a player's ability even more and to scrutinize a player more than they previously were. And he's paid a lot of money. hes I think a lot of people are expecting him to step into that Jimmy Butler-esque go-to scoring role, and I just don't think he's quite that kind of a player. Like I think he's a very good individual scorer, but I think his deficiencies show when you ask him to create late in games, when you ask him to create for his teammates, and when you ask him to go against the other team's best defender. And I think sometimes he will be tasked with doing that. So I think there will be a lot of scrutiny on Tobias Harris. I think that's true. And I think that's one of the two that you were referring to. And I think the other one is that, you know, I think, I, I think we will be talking about Ben Simmons jumper all season. I don't think this is a, a open and shut case. Yeah,
1: that's an easy one. And I'm sure there's going to be people calling for Brett Brown to be fired. Even if
0: every year, yep,
1: even if they continue to go on a plus 50 win pace, Um, that's just kind of the, uh, the cycle of the season and how it works now. I think, uh, what did Brett call it? The low content day on, you know, I, I I think it's, it's more than that for sure. Uh, the other storyline I think we're going to get, and yours is kind of a, you mentioned the, the obvious one with Ben Simmons. How about the, whenever Ben Simmons sits, this team doesn't have anybody who can dribble at a high level. Yeah, uh, I think he's his absence in past years when you kind of compared it to Joe and obviously that that's how you could tell Joe was a better player. They were elite when Joe played; they were below average when when he sat. And with Ben, those splits were not nearly as pronounced. Sometimes they were pretty much even. And and to be fair, he was playing with some some worse players. I like I watched that game a little bit last night, and I was wondering Friday you know, night. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a get used to it, people, if if you're new. It just seemed like they didn't have anybody who knew how to create within that scheme. And obviously, you know, he has his deficiencies with his jumper, but he does so many things in terms of, you know, knowing where to get guys the ball and and backing into post-ups and all these other things. I think there is a chance me and you especially are talking about the, the glaring need for shot creation when he's off the floor.
0: No, I do. I do think and I I guess that would be my one unexpected storyline outside of that is I do think there will end up being a trade and it's difficult. They don't really have much flexibility either in what they can trade right now, but also in 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 their salary cap flexibility going forward and and remaining under the apron and, and, and luxury tax concerns and all that that they're going to have to be battling over the next couple of years to keep this core intact. So it's going to be tough, but I do think they're going to be scouring the trade market. I don't expect them to sit on the sidelines. You know, I think one of the things we looked at when his team, when the season started, when training camp started, was hey, they've finally got a team they can keep around for a long time that that will be here for years and years and years, which they've never had around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I do think by and large that is true, but I do think they will find a needed tinker. and I do think that sort of playable backup point guard who can both dribble the ball and defend his position and defend in the playoffs and not be roasted alive is something they're going to look for. And how they can acquire that, who that will be, I don't know. But I think I think trade market will be more active than we expect. And
1: Elton is, has shown a uh you know, he, he's not afraid to get involved in trade
0: talks. No, it'll just be they'll have to get really creative this year. Really yep. creative.
1: Much less right. firepower.
0: Rich Hoffman how many games will the 76ers win?
1: Hmm. What's the over-under? 54 and a half?
0: It was the last time I checked, yeah. I'm gonna go with a slight over. Not not a
1: huge over, because I still think, you know, winning 60 games, that is like a special team. That is and and you can be an awesome team and not win 50 games. I mean, I thought last year's Raptors. Were one of the better teams. Like I think they're going to be historically. When when you look back at that team, people are going to look back at them as wow, what what an amazing basketball team that was. And part of it was because they were load managing Kawhi throughout the year. They were taking it easy. I think they ended up with, I think high fifties. So, so for the Sixers, I think it's going to be that type of season. It's going to, you know, the defense is just going to be suffocating a lot of nights. Like I I think there are going to be nights where, as you said earlier where they might might not be able to put the ball in the basket there are going to be far more nights where the other team can't put the ball in the basket and this defense to me is going to be absolutely suffocating in the regular season i think you know they're going to handle joe well i i would imagine he'll make you know slight improvements he'll continue to get you know a little more efficient he'll he'll understand double teams maybe a little better I, you know thibodeaux is going to help I, I, you know, to me, the number is somewhere. I'm going to say 56.
0: Okay. Yeah, it was interesting. You brought up Kawhi. They were 17 and five when Kawhi was out of a game last season. Really, I'm not incredible. sure
1: the Sixers are going to be quite that good, but I think they're going to be good. Like I think Horford and Simmons led lineups, especially if you can, uh, you can pick kind of the dregs of the East to play them against, are going to roll teams.
0: And, and that's probably a good you know, how they fare early in the season without Embiid might then impact how willing he is to sit. You know, I think if you asked Embiid, and we talked a lot about him playing, or him him winning an MVP, I think if you asked him, would he rather be Kawhi or would he rather be Giannis, I think he would say Kawhi. So, you know, it's almost good for the Sixers that Kawhi did what he did and the Raptors did what they did when he sat and then in the playoffs when he played. Does that mean he's going to sit 22 games? No, like I said, I still think probably maybe... Ten games if Embiid's healthy is what you're looking at him missing. But maybe like that makes the case a little bit easier. So wins I was right there with you. I was I my number was fifty-seven, which is a pretty optimistic number. Part of that is because the Eastern Conference, once you get past the Bucks, there really isn't there 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 just aren't great teams there. And all of the teams that could be really good. Have some sort of injury that you have to, well, how, how are the Pacers going to look when Oladipo comes back? What's, what's Oladipo going to look like? You know, how are the, the Nets going to look with all of their changes and without Durant for most, if not all of the season? I'm lower
1: so, on both of those teams too.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are both massive injuries to just come back from and try to pick up in the middle of the season too. So there's just so much, the, the talent discrepancy in Eastern Conference is so severe. And the Sixers defense should be really legitimately great, like best in the league great. that I think it's going to carry them on a lot of nights. And I think having two legitimate backup centers in Horford and O'Quinn should make it easier where you don't have, you know, part of, the, of Embiid's incredible on-off numbers were that they didn't have an option when he was on on the bench. And that shouldn't be the case this year. Matisse Thibel showing some juice here early in his career now that we're on the the Athletic Podcast Network. Viable showing showing some juice early on in the season certainly helps their depth, certainly helps their rotation, and gives them another wing option that can be versatile and go out there and play and hopefully make shots he didn't shoot all that greatly in the preseason, but I think that shot is there. I think they will be able to withstand... You're right that Ben Simmons this season is far more indispensable than he has been in the past because they have like one and a half other people who can really dribble the ball consistently and play defense, and that's not necessarily the greatest recipe for success if Simmons has to miss a lot of time, but he has been an iron man. Sixers have more options for Embiid. they have more options on the wing. I'm going to say 57 games. The real question then. So I I guess, where does that put them in an Easter conference? I would say second. I do think Milwaukee will have a better regular season record than the Sixers. Do you agree or not?
1: I do, but I think it'll be close. It'll be
0: close. Yeah. I expect Milwaukee to win a fewer games. Uh, and if they don't again it's because of the watered down eastern conference but i expect them to be a worse team let's put it that way but i think they do come out a couple wins ahead of the sixers
1: their formula is just it, it just seems made so for simple. the regular season yeah. you know it's you, you can you can worry about their uh their starting lineup and kind of their role players in the playoffs but when when you're just playing a different team every night it's just such a simple style and with such a dominant player. Yeah, I, I would expect them to be high fifties, close to sixty again.
0: All right. How far, how deep do they go in the playoffs?
1: Well, that's where Milwaukee, that's where their, uh, their matchup well, problems sim- come to, uh, come to be a little bit of a problem. No, I know. That's what I mean. I mean, come on, man. We're not talking about the first two rounds of the playoffs for the Sixers. They're going <laughs> to get there. We're, we're just, we're, we're simming all the way to the final four and. All right. I think, uh, as the road team, they take down the Bucks in six for a lot of reasons. I, I, again, I would imagine that those games are absolute bloodbaths if they're, uh, these rosters are somewhat healthy in the, in those, you know, at, at that point, I would imagine those are like, you know, speaking of 92-92, three minutes left, that's what those games are going to be like because the Bucks have a really good defense as well. Again, I just don't trust guys like Eric Bledsoe and whoever their fifth starter is at this point, is it Wesley Matthews? I you know, they are relying on some worse players than Malcolm Brogdon who almost saved them in that Raptors series last year. So I think the Sixers beat them and they ultimately lose to the Los Angeles Clippers in the NBA Finals.
0: That's boring. I had I had Sixers. It it does almost feel like if the Sixers don't get home court, they almost have to win it in six. But I was going to say Sixers in seven. I think the matchup with the Bucks is really interesting. I think you know I think that could have been a driving, certainly a factor in the decision to pursue Al Horford. And with the league trending towards using centers and big men who can meet Giannis at the rim as the primary defender on him, the Sixers did that with their second meeting between the teams in Milwaukee. And I think that's going to be the, you know, I think, I think Horford defending him well will help. I think the Sixers are pretty uniquely equipped in the Eastern Conference to give him troubles. I do think the Sixers pull that out. When I say that, it would be like the Sixers having a 52% chance and Milwaukee a 48. I think the teams are real close. Me too. But I do think the Sixers match up relatively well with them.
1: At at least as well as
0: you can match up with Giannis.
1: I need a little more excitement from you, man. You're picking the, the Sixers to make the finals. I know. Hey, I don't care if it's a fifty-two percent chance.
0: But I do think I do think going back to matchups, I do think the Clippers are a bad matchup with them. I think they're the best team. I think they're the deepest team. And I would pick the Clippers in five or six. I'll say six just to appease the people on this podcast. I think the Clippers are a better team. And a bad matchup, but we have eighty two games to go, plus a a long, long playoff season before we have to worry about that. So a lot can change my mind, but right now I would say Clippers.
1: One note just to, to look forward during the season. I think we're going to be looking, you know, with a team that looks like one of the two potential finalists from the Eastern conference. I think we're going to be looking at the records out West a lot of the time because that's how, uh that's how home court is decided. So, and, and to me, the Clippers are a team that might not be a great regular season team with I mean, Paul George, both of his shoulders, he did still anything, has to yep. deal with, you know, he's not coming back until November. They were, you know, they were a great story last year. And I thought Doc, borderline should have won coach of the year if, if Bud just didn't completely turn around the Bucks. but they were a little bit lucky last year. They kind of punched over their weight. So I, I don't think their baseline is, is quite what they ended up being last year. Uh, and, and Kawhi, you know, I know he's going to play more than he did in Toronto, but I still think they're going to take it somewhat, you know, easy on them at times. So the Sixers could get home court. And I think both of those teams out West, especially, uh, you know, the Lakers or the other team. They look pretty damn good in the preseason. It's, uh, you know, despite kind of a clunky roster outside of their, their top cup, top couple of guys, like when your top couple of guys are LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it's a pretty good team.
0: Uh, it is, it is much tougher to rack up 55 wins or more in the Western Conference. It's hard. And like you said, the load management will be a big topic there. At Staples, they do have a deep team. I think for a team that could acquire two superstars like that, you know, they you typically don't see a team make those kind of moves and still retain that much depth. So I think they'll be, I think they'll be a very good team. But I do think the Sixers have a chance for that home court for sure.
1: It's it's just something to keep in mind during the
0: year. All right, I think that is just about all that we have. Both picking the Sixers to go to the finals pretty good season it's a pretty good season and a lot to play out should be an exciting time thank you for jumping on thank all the listeners for listening like i said head over to the athletic.com slash sixers beat subscribe for 40 off subscribe in apple Podcasts, spotify google play music wherever you get your podcasts you can subscribe to the free public one you can find the private one in the athletic app once again thank you rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon see you man